Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Sky Studios' Jane Millerchip, Gabriel Silver, Nils Hartman and Frank Yasfelder and stars Superna Carl about their commissioning and co-production strategies for 2022 and beyond. And from Two Brothers Pictures' head of drama Chris Aird about BBC Jamie Dornan thriller The Tourist. Comcast-owned Sky Studios was established several years ago to grow investment in homegrown shows, serving sister pay TV networks and streaming services in the UK, Germany and Italy. Chief Content Officer Jane Millerchip, Director of Drama Commissioning Gabriel Silver, Sky Italia Director of Productions Niels Hartmann and Sky Deutschland Director of Original Scripted Frank Yasfelder spoke with Stephen Armstrong recently about their commissioning and co-production strategies for 2022 and beyond as part of C21's Content London. Tell us a bit about Sky Studios and about the, the way it's, things are structured internationally. How do things work? So uh, Sky Studios is about two and a half years old now. And uh, it's the culmination of a long build in uh, the building of original, original dramas and scripted comedy at Sky. And um, what we really wanted to do is build a group entity which covers Sky UK, Italy, Germany, which are our core territories, and really put a global build behind our drama ambitions. And so um, uh, it was after, the, uh, after Comcast had acquired Sky and... Um, and we had, uh, we were in the process of shutting down our then production and distribution arm, Sky Vision, which was partly subsumed into NBCU. And so um, Sky Studios has become the creation arm of Sky. And we encompass both the commissioning of independent producers and we are now building uh, in-house capability in all three territories. And so, in and, and addition to that, we also have a commercial arm. And whilst we now don't do our own physical distribution, that's covered by NBCU, we do continue to do the risk management and the deficit funding. So really, we are a one-stop shop for all creators and producers. Uh, production companies um, come through the uh, indie commissioning team, which Gabriel runs. That still is um, that's still uh, is the, by far the majority, the volume of our content in the UK. Um, um, we've recently uh, appointed um, Prithi Mavahali, who's joining us from Mammoth, um, uh, as creative director. So she'll be joining in January to run our in-house um, capability in the UK. And in Italy, Germany, uh, we have those two arms under, under Frank and, and Niels. Um, so across the spectrum of our activity, you've got um, full-blown indie commissioning, conventional indie commissioning on one side, full-blown in-house, but then there's a possibility for myriad co-productions with Sky Studios, and we've already done a few. Um, and we want to be both clear in how we work, um, the clarity for the independent sector is particularly important, but also have that sense of be being able to be bespoke in the partnerships we do, and, and agile deal-making as well. So in some cases we retain all rights, in others we don't. Uh, we normally try to acquire um, certainly transmission rights for our three core territories. Um, and you will have seen um, in recent dispatches, subject to regulatory approval, we hope to be launching um, uh, Sky Showtime, which gives Sky and our partner Sky Comcast and our partners Viacom um, a footprint across Europe as well. I think what you were just talking about covers this question, which has just come in from someone on the floor, Anonymous, 
Um, you can put your names on these questions if you want. Um, is Sky Studios going to replace Sky's incumbent producers given your building in-house capabilities? Absolutely not. Uh, we need, uh, uh, the independent production sector is our lifeblood and will continue to be so. Um, just because we're building in-house capability, it is not at the expense of the indie community. It's all about increasing the amount of content and increasing the quality and the opportunity to partner. Um, if you happen to be a writer as opposed to a production company, come and talk to our in-house team. We, we have a number of collaborations that we can do. We have a number of producer deals, writer deals, um, but none of that work is at the expense of the independent production community. And how does that work uh, in the different territories, nationally versus... You, you've got an overarching content strategy, but you also have three different commissioners here. So how, how, do, those, how do those things balance out in the different territories? Maybe, maybe you could each speak to your territory. Yeah, well, if I could just tee it up and then you can talk to the real experts. Um, so um, it's really important that we deliver in our, each of our markets. And so in each market, we have a dedicated team who know that market inside out and work with the best talent there. Um, I mean, it's obvious to say, and we keep saying it because there's re good reason to say it, is that um, a, a story can come from a very local place like indeed landscapers. But if it, if, it, if it feeds into universal themes, then it will work in all territories. As much as possible, our Sky Originals we like to take for all of our core markets. Um, increasingly, we'll want them, uh, we, we, we would like to, well, we, have, we will be supplying um, Sky Showtime. Um, so, uh, like everyone else you've probably seen and, and heard on panels this week, it's really important to have cultural relevance um, and strong story, you know, incredibly strong storytelling. The, um, the, the, the quality bar is very high now. Um, but uh, we've all learned how to ensure that our storytelling is also universal and travels. And, you know, a lot of our dramas have big budgets. So we're used to needing that international play through deficit funding and international. So it's not like it's foreign to... Uh, excuse the pun. It's not like it's foreign to us. But um, uh, maybe, Niels, you could talk a little bit about Italy. Yes, in Italy, we, we are launching our first uh, in-house production uh, next spring, Loco 181. As Jane said... Uh, 90% of what we're doing is commissioned uh, with uh, indie producers. Some of the productions are fully funded by Sky. Some, uh, you might remember, uh, the Young Pope are co-produced. Um, so is our uh, uh, biggest stunt, uh, Gomorrah, which is coming to the final season now that has been co-produced by Beta. It runs on all the three Sky territories, but then it's distributed all over the world. Uh, so we have a, a mixed model. The uh, in-house uh, gives us a bit of stimulation uh, to take writers directly on board. If there's an idea coming up like Blockwood can be an internal IP. So it gives you that bit of flexibility that we were missing. And Frank, how about in Germany? Well, we are starting out with the in-house production in Germany, uh, we have a couple of um, shows in development, nothing yet that we will green light soon, but uh, we're working on it. And as Niels and Jane said, it's about um, working directly with talent. Um, and this is of course, um, 
can be more specific and uh, be more precise on what we want and what we need um, as a broadcaster or streamer. Um, and so it's definitely something we're looking forward. But it also, since we increased our output or will increase our output, it's not taking away anything. And what the other thing you mentioned um, that we we are of course also looking for very local shows and local um, themes and topics. But again, uh, with universal with a universal background or universal motivation that is at least understood in the within the West Western culture, I would say. So our shows like Babylon Berlin or the Sport, they traveled very well all over the world, um, and yet they were conceived as uh, German shows and uh, and foremost catering our German audience. From the floor, uh, one from John and Ian. Uh screenwriters and one from Tanya Rusi's producer and they're, they're really talking about who to approach and I wonder because we're all on here if, if, talk about your markets a bit is that who should writers who should writers approach to access your in-house commissioning team and who's the person to contact a pitch scripted drama from the Nordics um, and a sub question from Tanya who would be the contact for UK drama projects how, how, do, how do people get in touch with you I think is the is the big question there yeah, so, so as Jane says, there's, there's the indie side and there's the in-house side. For the indie side, it's uh, me and my commissioning team, Manpreet Day, Angeles, Liu N, Paul Gilbert, we're all on emails. Um, Scott Pope is kind of a gatekeeper for submissions, so he's, he might be a very good, at least a, a very good CC. Um, and yeah, we take, we take submissions from production companies and we, we do encourage screenwriters to go through a production company because that's sort of the very first question we'd ask is who's producing it. Um, so that's that's the best method for indie side uh, for in house. For in house, Sam Tomlinson is the Scott Pope, um, and then um, our development and EP team are run by Serena Thompson, uh, Victoria Wharton, and Cara Manley, some of whom you know. Um, but I think we've just um, uh, ensured that Scott and Tom and Sam or other are going to be pretty busy going forwards. Um, Frank, do you want to talk about the submissions process in Germany? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we, uh, everyone, all the EPs in my team, of course, get submissions from the people they know already or uh, within the industry. It's um, probably known who to approach. And if not, um, it would be either be either be me or Tanya Pillar, who is uh, taking care of all the submissions in the first place. And um, yes, and, and it's we 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 worked also with uh, talent that was not represented with young and upcoming writers and it's a bit tricky yes and it, it depends probably on the project but um we worked on hausen and and souls another show that is coming up next year with very young writers and and, and talent that was not very experienced but with uh, the right guidance um it, uh, and and a great script that we received in the first place that would probably make a difference because if you're not very experienced and you don't have a track record, we're not taking, we're not looking so much on the concept of a show, but really more on, on the script itself. So you need to write a spec script or you need to write a script um, or first episode for a show. And that was in those two cases, what convinced us to get into the development of the show. Mm -hmm. um, because it's really a big difference, of course, if, if you read a script and actually see how it feels like and what, 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 it, what it is like, uh, other than just having a concept that is probably very rich and, and colorful and promising, but in the end, only the script delivers, as you all know. Nils, how about for you? 
Yeah, same here. Uh, send us an email, niels.hartman at skytv.it. Uh, Sonia Rovai is the other person in the Italian market. I think for the Italian uh, production community, it's, it's really easy to to access us. Uh, we, we 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 go through everything we get, uh, and we always try to reply within a decent time frame. Um, and as Frank was saying, Italy actually the the, the market has grown a lot. Um, we are actually putting in a lot of effort to grow young talents, young writers, uh, to get them on board. And uh, there is some talent programs uh, that have been developed in the last years uh, with uh, Anika, which is the Italian uh, movie association for specific writers for TV series. Um, um, and some IPs we are developing in-house. So the process is that uh, happy to get projects uh, not only from Italy, from wherever they come, if they have some kind of link. Obviously, what works for our audience in Italy is very local productions. I, sh I should also say for scripted comedy in the UK, Nicole Muldowney. But if in doubt, don't worry. Um, uh, Sky looks big from the outside, but we're actually quite a lean team. We don't have layers and layers of admin, uh, so you, you can get to us. Um, and as Neil said, we try to respond in a timely fashion. We hope we do. There will be always be someone who feels that they are owed a response, but we, 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 we do try to be as responsive as we can. So there's a couple of questions about um, diversity. The uh, first one is saying, well, how, how is Sky addressing diversity in the broadest sense? Mm -hmm. The likes of Bulletproof, Ashley Waters type shows, they've been great. Is there anything else in the pipeline? And um, another question which... I think it's fair enough. Uh, there is a lot of diversity talk, but how diverse can you be when, like this panel, me, mm. gatekeepers are all white? Why do white people still decide what counts as diverse? Mm. Um, so what, what is the... How, how is Sky dealing with the diversity issue? Sky's been dealing with the diversity issue for some time, um, for quite a few years now. Um, we've had at Sky a multicultural network, um, which is company-wide. Uh, those networks are serious and important, and we've made big strides there. In content itself, uh, we have signed up to, in the UK, 25% um, uh, um, um, uh, diversity called BAME, of which a um, uh, um, quarter is um, uh, uh, black. Um, and so we have hooked up to um, targets. I don't think targets alone are sufficient. It's really important that we also um, build and change and evolve the culture. Um, we have made, um, uh, I mean, we, we invested in the first overtly diverse production company in the UK in Sugar Films about six years ago now, I think, um, maybe seven years ago. Uh, we recently restructured that business and the two people who ran the factual side left and now Quadro Dejan still runs that business. And um, we work very, very closely with him and are about to go into our first production with him. Um, at the time, that was a distinct and positive move. Um, we have a number of training and diversity initiatives, one with um, um, Bishke uh, Ali uh, and, uh, uh, and Netflix, actually. Um, it's important that those initiatives, you don't end up in initiative soup. 
and it's important that something happens after the end of those initiatives and that you know there's still work to do absolutely there's still work to do the transition from entry level jobs to senior management continues to be an area that we need to lean into absolutely um, the intention is there the will is there the strategy is there um, and I really hope in the coming months and uh, years we are able to um, uh, share with you the, the, the fruits of that. Um, um, but there's still a lot of work to do, indeed. Um, Bulletproof um, uh, was uh, a, a great example of how you can have, to, you know, um, a, a really, you know, uh, uh, um, diverse leads. W uh, Wolf, our recent um, CSI drama, again, heavily diverse show. Um, we uh, intend to do more of that nature, um, and um, but it's still absolutely work in progress. There's two questions that actually probably sort of merge together, which mm. um, is... Do you have interest in certain genres over... Do you have a preference in genres? Um, and as a, a separate question, but I guess the same thing, would you consider an international period drama um, in terms of the genres that you're looking for? Um, yes, we would consider an international period drama because we don't actually rule anything out. Um, and so um, each year, um, certainly in the UK... There are a couple of landmark minis that we, we do, um, lot, but we're very interested in returnable franchises, obviously. And, and everything we do, we, we seek a broad audience. Um, but in terms of, if you, if you kind of want to know what our mood is, our feel is, kind of elevated commercial is, is something we often look forward to, look for. Um, lean forward storytelling, particularly on Sky Atlantic. Um, great writers. Um, obviously, um, muscular storytelling, um, audacity in the storytelling. Um, for instance, taking, you know, landscapers taking a, a kind of that conventional crime uh, genre and turning it on its head effectively. Um, but that doesn't mean we want niche. Uh, we, we want compelling storytelling, but it still needs to have that um, commercial appeal, that broad appeal. And co-viewing as well. It's really important, increasingly important. Um, Gabriel, do you want to kind of come in here? No, that's, that's absolutely the headline. I'd say it's, uh, we're incredibly proud and make a lot of noise about our limited series, uh, as with Landscapers. Um, but Return is, is, is really, you know, it's really what we're after for both channels. Um, there's, you know, some of our shows have come to their kind of organic end. And we need, it's not so much replacement for the likes of, uh, of Bulletproof or Tin Star. It's actually what is the new iteration of a, of a Sky returning series, of a, of a big franchise show. Uh, and that tone evolves constantly. You know, it isn't, we, we haven't kind of decided on a revolution and kind of scratched the past, but we also have to move on. Um, and so it's, it's, as Jane says, we're not ruling out genres. The second we say, oh, thanks very much, we've got, you know, two sci-fis already, it means you're bound to miss out on the best sci-fi ever. So uh, I'd encourage from all, from all genres, um, but with a focus on what a successful show is, which is centred on magnetic characters taking you through season after season. And Andrew's got a couple of questions, which I think probably work to all of you, really, which is... Um, he, he has a series and features that are, could be shot in two or more Sky territories. 
how do you feel about transnational stories that may start in London but go to Italy, Germany, perhaps or English, German, Italian? And if you were interested, which territory is the first point to approach? Gabriel Nils or Frank first? How do you deal with something like that? So um, absolutely, in principle, if the story requires it and demand it, you, you know, uh, uh, you, don't, you, you don't need to crowbar those elements in. Thank you very much. Um, but um, stories that uh, take place in multiple territories, absolutely. Um, we have also done a number of shows with, with, um, in multiple languages, uh, maintaining the authenticity. Um, and uh, The Last Panthers, uh, a few years ago, was one of the first um, uh, um, shows like that we did. And uh, Niels recently and the Italian team have produced Zero, Zero, Zero. Niels, do you want to talk about Zero, Zero, Zero? See, zero, zero, zero uh, follows the trail of cocaine from uh, South America through the brokers in the U.S. to Italy. So I think the key is that it, it needs to be natural. This is a story that follows the author of the book, Gomorra, Saviano, who's probably one of the biggest uh, experts in international crime linked to uh, drug dealing. Um, and that was uh, an interesting way to tell a story from three different point of views. Uh, again, I would never force something like that. It needs to become natural. Mm -hmm. and, and to answer the question about who should you come to, your story should have a natural home territory. And if it doesn't, it probably needs one. So um, you can go to Niels, <coughs> Frank or Gabriel. Um, you should know which territory should should really nurture and, and be the home for that territory. But but we can also, you know, as I said, we're a small team. We can also put you in touch with the right people. And there's a few questions which I think are talking about expanding territories or the, or, or, or the range of territories. There's um, one which I'm afraid actually was one of the first ones and I still haven't got around to from Anonymous, which is what about Asia? Do you have a presence there? Within that, I think, attached that, do you consider co-productions with territories where there is no sky presence? Um, yes. And then would you be acquiring other production companies in core markets or in other markets like France, or would you be basically building in-house? So that's a lot in one. But yeah, so uh, in terms of co-production, absolutely, yes, please. Um, we have a long history in co-producing in the US, um, whether that's HBO, Showtime, Sundance. Um, uh, we have worked with over 15 different networks and platforms in the last few years, from uh, pre-sale through to full co-production. Um, in the past, we've done quite a few co-productions with Canal Plus. Um, less so recently, but there's no reason for that. We'd love to work with them again. Um, so yes, we are very co-productive. Um, we, uh, uh, we currently have um, platform presence in Europe only. Obviously, we are very uh, um, closely tied to the NBC fam NBCU family in the US, um, but we also work with partners outside of that um, through co-production. Um, um, co-production partnerships are really important to us because one, we want to we want to work with the best people, the best teams, um, and also the ability that gives us the ability to uh, uh, work with really healthy budgets. Um, but it's always led by the story. So if the story it has, has relevance to our core markets, then absolutely we'll work with them. 
I don't know if I answered all the questions there. I've lost I, count. Unfortunately, I hit delete after I... Uh, so <laughs> if your question Sorry. was in that list... And I didn't, and I didn't answer it. Didn't Sorry. Answer it. Put your hand up and... Uh, what about Asia? Asia. Asia. Uh, we currently distribute to Asia through uh, NBCU. Uh, we don't currently have any co-production partnerships there. Uh, we wouldn't rule them out. If you do get picked up as development... There is a fear that you lose control of your IP and subsequent profits. At what stage would you consider a pre-buy? So um, Sky Studios being a one-stop shop allows us to work with partners in a number of ways. Um, we retain most of the rights most of the time uh, and um, work with NBCU for distribution and Sky Studios does the deficit funding. Uh, but generally speaking, we share in back-end IP with our production partners. So I think that does set us apart. Um, um, some producers may feel that we're denuding them of their rights. Um, I more likely see it as Sky takes on a lot of risk and we're prepared to share the upside with you. Uh, we don't uh, take all the rights all of the time. Um, there are many occasions where we've co-produced. Our co-production partner takes international or even with um, vertically integrated production distribution groups. Um, and we're, we're, we're good to negotiate with. We'll always have a conversation. Um, if we're taking a project for all our markets and we're investing significantly in a show, then we will probably want to have more engagement on the commercials as well, uh, because we're taking so much risk on it. Um, but. You know, we try to be and see ourselves as good partners. So hopefully you get lots of upside with Sky. Well, we'll de-risk the producer, but then still share in the upside. And I think owning and controlling the rights are important for producers, um, but having a share in those that upside is more important. So owning the rights themselves or controlling them isn't always the answer, because controlling the rights often means you have to take an enormous amount of risk and you don't see break even or upside for several years, especially with the inflation of budgets at the moment. So, um, you know, it's a nuanced conversation. So we're always open to discussion. Who does the producer's job when you're working directly with the creatives? So, um, well, each of uh, my partners here should, should answer, but I can give you an example of a show that we are just in post-production on, um, The Rising, which is our first true blue in-house show from the UK team. And um, Julian Stevens came on board to exec produce that show with us, um, along with our in-house team, Serena Thompson, exec produced on behalf of Sky Studios, and Eugenio Perez. So, um, uh, a, we have a really highly qualified uh, in-house team, but then we also partner with specific producers to bring them on board. Um, Niels, do you want to talk about Blocko, how you pulled that production together? Yes, Blocko is uh, following the tradition of uh, crime drama, which uh, organized crime is something Italy exports very well, which is not a good thing, but... Uh, <laughs> TV series about organized crime is also something we distributed well since Gomorrah, as I, I said, Gomorrah is coming to an end. So we were looking at different uh, approach to crime. Crime always happens in the center or south of Italy. So idea there was what is happening in Milan. Milan is more renowned for fashion and design. Uh, so there, there was an article we read eight years ago uh, a gang of South American 
uh, was running around with a machete and they axed a, a bus driver from a public transport. So that brought us into the idea of investigating what is actually happening around Milan. And Milan is very small compared to Berlin or uh, London or Paris. Uh, you, with a 10-minute scooter ride, you are on the outskirts and there's things going on uh, that people don't talk about very much. So the idea was, okay, let's talk about these gangs, the direct system in Milan, but to make it really different, um, we wanted a love story in there. So the brief we gave the writers uh, was we want Romeo and Juliet as a horizontal threat. Now it turned out that uh, it was uh, Juliet, Romeo and Romeo. So it's uh, a triangle of affair of these young kids. Um, and it, it looks, the, the other thing is we wanted it to look and feel different from Gomorrah. Obviously it's crime, obviously there's some violence, but in the end, it also addresses social issues that there are in Milan and in Italy. Uh, and it's a great love story. Uh, Frank, if it's only specific to Deutschland, about the question which is about how the producer works with the creatives when it's an in-house production. Yeah, I mean, not much to say since we're only developing at the moment, but we're definitely partnering with experienced um, any producers, then that that would be the case probably. Or it is already that we are looking out for a partnership, um, so that we're prepared when it comes to uh, the actual production, uh, because we can't handle that, of course, on our own. Um, we have a follow-up question, I think, from the person who asked the diversity question, which um, I think is interesting. They, they're saying um, the diversity question was well answered. Uh, but is there a discomfort in mainstreaming black narratives because they do challenge narratives of white? superiority or that there is you know, the narrative of the white storytelling. I don't think that's a barrier. Gabriel, do you want to... No, no, I wouldn't I say so. Whether, whether we're doing it well enough is another matter. Yeah. yeah, and I think we're abundantly aware. There's a lot of talk in, you know, about, about targets and I think, in a sense, I think Sky is something of a pioneer in terms of on-screen uh, diversity but arguably that's that hasn't been it's been more difficult to be quite as assertive in terms of writers and HODs and crew generally. And I think we're doing well in terms of writers on our shows, a lot better than we were, but still not that many in terms of lead writers and showrunners. And I think when the voice of, a sh of an entire series comes from diverse authors, I think you won't be asking these questions because that the perspective will be completely different. Uh, or not completely different, but it will come from a perspective that... <clears throat> isn't being mitigated through a white lens. I think a good example of that is Save Me, um, the, uh, the series that's now gone to uh, two seasons, um, produced by World, but the creator and writer is Lenny James. And the, the vernacular of that script is extraordinary. Um, and very much from Lenny's heart and head, um, and I was mesmerised by those the, the scripts in those the first two series um, because his his voice is there. I wouldn't say it's different, but it, it it's it it's really strong, and it's and um, and the perspective is yeah, it, it's not white, um, and uh, the fact that we were able to um, kind of take you know say to Lenny. Um, 
we want you know, he he wanted to develop a show with us. It's it's his creation. Um, uh, World did a brilliant job of produ producing the show, but the vernacular, the tone, the voice is, is incredible. And some of the um, the monologues that his character has, particularly in season two, they're extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's a wonderful show, after winning show. Yeah, one after. <laughs> there you go. This question's from Prince Charles, which I think is nice. It's good. Um, Let's Are your pockets in. deep enough to allow you to finance a feature or a series 100% or do you prefer to bring on co-producers? The Sky Cinema team uh, don't currently sit within Sky Studios. That's not to say we don't work um, quite closely with them. Um, to date, um, our activities, I don't work, um, uh, this is my specific area of um, uh, interest at Sky, um, but um, we have increased the number of Sky Originals that we do in the UK, certainly, um, uh, in, usually in partnership. Um, whether we would s solely fund, never rule it out, but, but the partnership model has suited us very well to date. So we're approaching, we've got four minutes left, and we do have four outstanding questions. Um, I will run through all four now. Some of them you may be able to dispense with uh, relatively quickly and spend more time on others, just so we can try to make sure that everyone's questions are, uh, are dealt with. So uh, one of them is, is there, is there any factual focus? Then there's, um, how do you measure Sky Studios' impact on the Sky brand? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to delete these so we can go back to them. I suppose Sky wants the first window on Sky. Does that mean that you or we might go to a streamer for a second window? And finally, would you please share the plan for original productions for Sky Showtime? So factual focus, studio on brand, first window streamers and original productions for Showtime. Right, I might have to ask you that again. But So first one, documentaries, yes. Barney Shingleton, Barnaby Shingleton uh, run, is our head of um, factual documentaries at Sky Studios. And we are increasing our output in documentary um, singles and shorts miniseries for Sky documentaries and also in um, where Italy, Germany. Uh, what was the second question? Uh, but how do you measure Sky Studios' impact on the Sky brand? Well, it's really important for the Sky brand. A Sky original, as you've seen in all those clips, uh, the Sky original is the brand that we is the public-facing brand. Sky Studios is a B2B uh, engine, so we hope that you all know and understand our, brand, our mission there. But Sky Originals is really important to set us apart, to give us it's content worth paying for. You know, Sky in, intends to be the best aggregator of brilliant content in the marketplace, whether it's terrestrials, Netflix, Prime, Disney, uh, now Peacock, all on the Sky platform. Um, so we want the best of the rest, but it's the Sky Originals that really give that extra content worth paying for, and that is really important. Uh, Sky wants first window on Sky, which means uh, could you or they go to streamer for second window? Not in our territories. Right. Uh, could you share the plan with regards to original productions for Showtime, Sky Showtime? Ah, so that's quite interesting. So Sky Showtime, um, subject to regulatory approval, uh, should be launching through a number of territories. Um, we will be supplying that service with Sky Originals uh, from the current uh, um, uh, UK, Italy, Germany. And the, um, the discussion around Originals for um, uh, Sky Showtime is just beginning. And I have lost my OBE chances here by missing out part of Prince Charles's question which is when about, we talked about co-financing, I said features. I did not stress that it also included series. So um, I missed that one up. 
So does co do you need to co-finance series? Uh, usually we will look for the co-financing if required with you. If you bring financing to the table, that can work, but sometimes that means the partner is baked in and that work may or may not be compatible for us. But, um, you know, uh, budgets are increasing uh, all the time and we want to maintain quality and scale in our shows. So um, co-financing is something we do all the time. Yes. I hope that answered it. Less than a minute. Mm. Um, what are you looking for? <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, as, as I've said, we're looking for a returning series for Sky UK, and that's for both Sky Max and Sky Atlantic. Um, and that can come in lots of different shapes and forms, particularly in terms of genre. It could be established authors, it could be new talents. Uh, we're, you know, that th we just want remarkable stories uh, in in any form. And I'm, I, you know, I'm happy to talk about sort of what's come before and what might come in the future, Maybe but probably not in 24 seconds. Just so, so we yeah. can get through Nielsen, um, Frank. <laughs> Gentlemen, what, what are you looking for? The next great series, which is really well written, that uh, will give uh, our subscribers uh, at home that kind of emotion uh, to come back for the next one and uh, renew the subscription at the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Frank. Yeah, probably the same here. Specifically, big shows with, with IPs. Um, that were uh, already that are already there or that they're based on either a novel, a game, or a movie, um, or a biography, or a historical event. That that is definitely one of the great pillars of our commissioning strategy. And I should also say, on behalf of the scripted comedy team, um, comedy half hours, returning franchises, and one hour character-driven comedy dramas. What we're looking for in the UK. So sadly, so can I also say thank you all for coming. And, um, I think C21 have done an incredible job to keep this going, and thank you for everybody for still turning up in very difficult circumstances and missing yeah. the off as well. Yeah, thank you. Sky Studios' Jane Millerchip, Gabriel Silver, Nils Hartman, and Frank Yasfeld are speaking with Stephen Armstrong. Sapurna Carl is president of International Networks at Stars, the Lionsgate-owned US premium cable network which is spread out around the world via streaming service Stars Play. Her responsibilities include these operations as well as overseas originals and co-productions. Carl spoke with C21 North America editor Jordan Pinto at C21's Content London recently about her programming strategy, the further rollout of Stars Play, and, to start with, the recent news that Lionsgate is exploring a possible sale of the company. So, Suppana, I'd like to start off by asking somewhat, or addressing somewhat of an elephant in the room <laughs> um, early on. Um, so a few weeks ago, Lionsgate, um, Star's parent company, announced that it was or thinking about or exploring the possibility of um, either spinning off Stars or, or selling it potentially. I appreciate this was only announced a few weeks ago. Um, still a lot of moving parts and lots of complete unknowns, but is there anything you're able to tell us about, um, about what that means right now? I mean, at this point, it's, it's unfortunately really early to really talk about it in any great detail, other than to say that you know, management feels that there's value to be unlocked, um, and so they're pursuing options to do so. So we've created value at Stars and Stars Play, and, uh, and that's really it. It's just it's early at the moment. That's great, thank you. Um, so Starsplay's international rollout has been pretty impressive and pretty pretty rapid. Um, I think, I believe you're in 60, 60 countries at this yeah. point. Um, it's obviously a very busy streaming market. That it is. 
how how do you differentiate yourselves and how do you look to stand out in in this landscape of behemoths and mid-sized streamers what, what what is your what is your overall goal so we think of ourselves as uh, a complement to some of the broader streaming services like a disney plus or uh, a netflix and so we're in that premium space that sits on top of these other services like we have traditionally in the US with HBO Showtime and Stars has always you know, been that premium service on top of broad-based television. And so whether you have a pay TV stack in your home still or a bunch of streaming services or a sports package, we're that perfect complement on top of. We have no children's programming, no kids content whatsoever. Um, our content is aimed squarely at adults. Um, with edgy, provocative shows that I implore you to not watch with your children nor with your grandmother, um, God forbid, um, <laughs> or even your mom. That would be weird. Um, so, so you know, when you're late at night, when you're done dealing with the, the world and the day and the children, uh, put on Stars Play and you'll always find something amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things you were mentioning during the, the pre-session call was that your strategy is not to, to compete head-to-head -head with some of the, the biggest streamers. Um, but it's more to act as a partner. So yes. could you unpack, sure. unpack that strategy and how um, it works? Absolutely. So in many instances in your homes, you have multiple SVOD services. And if you're looking for reality television or comedy or a, you know, a cooking show, then please do put on one of the other streamers. But as I mentioned, you know, when you're looking for that edgy drama where that premium, that premium service with the right price point right on top that has curated content, you know, we debut... Um, a, a drama at least every month uh, in every territory, something new, um, original, exclusive, that's handpicked, curated very lovingly and marketed well, um, that is, is aimed squarely at that adult audience um, to keep you going in, in terms of, of all the different shows that we have on air. We, have, uh, we cater to both men and women um, equally, you know, and uh, with shows like Normal People or The Great Season 2, which is coming this coming Sunday in the UK, you know, you can lean in and just kind of lose yourself in a show that uh, really isn't like anything else you'll see. And so one thing that's very important to us at Stars Play is that what's on our service, you're not going to find on other services because we do lean pretty heavily into sex and crime and, and, um, and vice. Mm -hmm. um, when you're partnering with, with other services, is it ever a problem to find people that um, are um, partnering on such racy content or... Is, is that a pretty you know, simple proposition? It's so interesting because uh, a lot of the producers and writers that we work with are so excited to have us kind of in the mix because they can explore and be a little edgier than they normally would be. Um, their briefs that we give are, you know, go beyond what you think you can get away with and, and we'll, we'll be the home for that. Um, and so we're, we, what we find is we often walk into rooms where people are very, very excited to work with us because of exactly that reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, and folks, I just want to remind you to keep, this is a relatively short panel, so it's you know, less than 20 minutes left, so keep, fire the questions through, and uh, I'll make sure we get to them. Um, if we can drill down a bit on the commissioning strategy sure. then. Um, so I, I know you said during the pre-session call that um, your colleague Jeff Cook is yes. maybe more involved in the, uh, the hands-on day-to-day of going through scripts, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Um, but maybe can you speak to the slightly broader sure. um, commissioning commission um, strategy and how so it's evolving? Yeah, we've got a fantastic programming and uh, programming and production team. We've got folks in, in Spain, in Latin America, in London, as well as in LA um, under the auspices of one Mr. Jeff Cook, who I will not embarrass 
but he's maybe in the second row. Um, maybe <laughs> with a beard. Um, so if you want to pitch something, he's your guy. But no, there's, a, there's a several others. There's a woman named Karen Morell here in London. Uh, we have a woman named Brett Maritoli out of our Denver office, and we've got Peter Tortorici and his team out of Madrid and Spain, and then we've got some folks in Latin America as well, looking at everything from you know acquisition to commissioning to co-productions to really everything. Um, and so we're really lucky that we have such a strong team with people who really understand our brand and, and you know are looking for the right shows that fit. And so we're very flexible, and that's the other thing that's I think is important about us is that we can work in all different um, scenarios. So we can take second window sometimes. Uh, we you know, take first window, certainly in many instances, in most instances. But based on the project, the producer and, and the, the actual auspices of the IP, you know, whatever makes the most sense economically for us is, is where we can be. And I think that that offers a lot of uh, value to our co-production partners. Mm -hmm. um, a few questions coming through already. Um, as an ex-STARS employee, I'm very excited about the return of Party Down. Um, when will we be able to see this, or when will I be able to see this? Uh, uh, this was always my favorite from the early days. I love Party Down as well. Um, I Maybe think for, for those that don't know Party Down. Right. So Party Down is the behind-the-scenes show of uh, a bunch of caterers in Los Angeles and all of the nonsense that they have to deal with. And it's got a tremendous, tremendous cast. And if you ask me to name them, I probably can't off the top of my head at this moment. But... You would know them all. Um, and so most of them are coming back. And so uh, this is a reboot that's been in the works for quite a long time. Um, and it's in 2022, I think, later in the year. Could you illustrate the difference or the key difference between what an original Stars Play commission would look like versus something that you would acquire? So something we acquired would be uh, Dr. Death, um, which I think is a Peacock show in the US with Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, and Josh Jackson, based off of existing IP. And that was um, something in the true crime genre that works very well for us, acquisition. Um, something like Gangs of London, also an acquisition. Normal people, acquisition. Things that we commission, uh, let's see, all the things we never said, um, a French case, uh, and then a bunch of Spanish language originals that we have coming up, one of which has just debuted earlier in the month, um, last month, called Mala Yerba. Um, and then we've got a whole bunch of shows that we've commissioned, uh, mostly out of Spain and Latin America. Let's talk about the, the Spanish language sure. uh, commissioning strategy then. Um, how long has it been something that you've pursued? And wow. let's talk about the strategy today. Great question. So it's been probably about two years. Um, and it takes a long time, obviously, for, to get things going. But we're at a point now where I think we've got um, a Spanish language original, you know, consistently all the way through for the year. And so, you know, that's thanks to Peter and Jeff and, and several others that have been working really hard on finding the best projects, the best producers and production companies to work with, the best writers. Um, and each show is unique and different from each other. So we've got a show about cannabis and just the, the uh, legalization of marijuana. Um, but the story, it's really a coming of age story for a bunch of young people and entrepreneurs. So it's not your typical drug crime type of a show. It's, it's really entrepreneurship and young people um, trying to figure out how to make it in the world. Um, to Senorita 89, which is behind the scenes of um, the pageant industry, very salacious, very, very, very sexy. Um, 
and you know, again, there's a crime involved somewhere in there too, a murderer. Um, very different from a show called Express, which is out of Spain, uh, with a co-production with Media Pro, um, with Maggie Cervantes, and that show is just so amazing. Um, and it's about express kidnappings and the way in which we all live life in a very fast-paced way. Um, and express kidnappings are actually a thing where you get kidnapped for a few hours and your family has to pay some ransom to, to get you out. And the twist in this is that one of the investigators who's investigating um, these, uh, these kidnappings is actually a victim herself. And then she's also got a family, and so she's you know your typical woman juggling career and trauma and a family and fighting crime mm -hmm. all at the same time. Um, you know, and then we've got a show called Nacho uh, XXXL, which is based off the life story of Nacho Vidal, um, who's a porn star out of Spain. Um, we announced um, X-Ray, based off of the podcast, King Juan Carlos uh, of Spain, the, his life story. So these are all very, very different shows from each other. But what they have in common is their authentic stories told um, by and for local audiences. Mm -hmm. Are the, are the majority of the Spanish language shows originating in Spain specifically, or is it Latin America or it's South, South America? It's both. It's a mix of both, mm -hmm. yeah. Another part of the strategy is the, it's a very global strategy, but South and Southeast Asia. Yes. Yeah, could you, could you talk a bit about sure. what that strategy looks like? Uh, yeah, so the, we've got a full management team in India, and they manage uh, the South and Southeast Asia businesses. Um, their first original, I think, debuts this week, um, it's called Hiccups and Hookups, and it's with uh, Lara Data, um, told by Kunal Kohli as uh, producer, and it's um, loosely based on Casual, uh, if you guys have seen Casual. Um, but it's, you know, again, authentically written by Indians for Indians, and I think it'll also find a global audience, frankly, too. Mm -hmm. Um, for Southeast Asia, are there any projects in the works at the moment? Not just yet. We've, we're just, just starting our expansion into Southeast Asia. We started with Indonesia, and I think we've announced uh, Malaysia as well. Okay. Um, for, for, for people that have, might have ideas that they wanted to pitch either through the, for the Spanish language um, part or for the South and Southeast Asia, what is the best route in through the, the, the stars It's, it's really contest, contacting our team um, with Peter or Edgar or Jeff. Mm -hmm. um, a couple more questions here from Slido. Uh, can screenwriters approach Jeff or Carol direct, um, or do you prefer approaches through indie production companies? I think through production companies. Mm -hmm. um, here's a question. Um, what are you looking to commission specifically out of the UK, if it's possible ah. to pinpoint what that would look like? I think true crime is interesting to us. Uh, whodunits, you know, uh, in the vein of um, A Knives Out. I think would be fantastic. Um, you know, a good, good mystery whodunit I think would be amazing. Mm -hmm. um, is it possible to put a number on how many in-development projects you have or how many things would be in the works in a development stage? There's quite a few in development, both between um, ourselves at Stars Play, but also with Stars, our, our, you know, our, our domestic uh, company. And, you know, the domestic production also appears on Stars Play as well. And so those shows and the shows that they're making there are really with us in mind. So shows like Serpent Queen, um, Gaslit with Julia Roberts, um, Shining Veil vale with Courtney Cox, um, 
you know, there's many, many, many more. There's Dangerous Liaisons, there's Young Elizabeth. A lot of these shows are, of course, with the international audiences in mind. And so we have the, the benefit of development from there and then also development at Lionsgate, which is our parent company as well. So we kind of have the best of it all, frankly. Um, as Stars Play grows, does the interaction between Stars in the US and Stars Play change at all or? No, <laughs> no, it's, it's fantastic actually. Um, as Stars Play grows, uh, more and more Stars itself is just thinking about a, a global audience. Mm -hmm. um, the licensing of, of how things work, does everything that appears on Stars in the US, does it typically end up on Stars Play or does it all go to Stars Play? More or less all of it does. Uh, there's some exceptions of things that were licensed before we existed, but other than that, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, any interest in period dramas um, from, uh, well, there's two questions. So any interest in period dramas from either India or British? Well, it actually says India slash British, so I don't know whether there's a of joint theme, theme there, um, asking there, but. There's a few that I've um, looked at recently um, that are interestingly both set in Marlborough Hill and Bombay, for anyone that's asking, that are both period pieces that I've, I've seen of late. Um, I don't know that we've put anything into development just yet. Um, our Indian colleagues are certainly looking at all sorts of things, whether they're you know, contemporary pieces like um, hookups and hiccups or whether they're more period piece, but there's there's definitely stuff that they're looking at for sure. Mm -hmm. Is the Indian market one you're quite, quite excited about? I think at the moment we're seeing things like Squid Games, you know, very very <laughs> obvious example. But the um, the I suppose Korean content kind of springing up. Um, do you have high hopes that the Indian content? Uh, We'll could, could kind of yeah could start traveling in, in a similar way. Yeah, I think so. Um, this particular show, the first their first original, is is really just the production values are amazing. The acting is phenomenal, and it's it's really fun to watch. Um, I will also say that I just I have to say that just as an Indian American person, when random neighbors of mine have come up to me and said, "Oh, we watched that dating show of arranged marriages on Netflix," and you know, we have these deep discussions about that, that. I found that very jarring and super interesting and kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I, I'm, I'm Indian British, yeah. I suppose. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> are you able to talk about some of the next territories um, that you're looking to expand into for Stars Play? So we just launched in Australia recently. Um, and so that's our latest. There's more coming in Southeast Asia. Other than that, I think we've got enough on our plates with 60 plus countries at this point. And so the goal is to definitely just strengthen and deepen our, our presence in, in Europe and Latin America mm -hmm. and Canada. For Australian producers that might be in the room or, or interested, when you branch into Australia, will there also be a plan to look at Australian originating projects? I think at some point, uh, not just yet. I think it's a little early days for us still. Mm -hmm. We literally just launched a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, so and I, I would just like to clarify just for the, the commissioning remit. So we're looking at kind of UK, um, Spanish, uh, Spanish language, um, South and Southeast Asia. A little bit of French and German. French and German. Why not? <laughs> okay. Yeah, those are fantastic territories, obviously, too, uh, with great storytelling mm -hmm. and fantastic productions. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you slightly away from the Slido questions. What is something that we are talking about today that you never thought that we would be talking about? Is the obvious answer COVID? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Still? Yes. Um, in, in the year ahead, 
how uh, I noticed that you're you know you're over PL for the for the stars group yeah. how <laughs> does that keep you up at night thinking that COVID could shut down because I know getting into the country um for well, actually for both of us you I, you came in yeah. a couple of days ago yeah. I, I came in on Saturday but it looked like we might not be able to get in and yes. when you have such an international global content business that is also obviously an issue um yeah, how, how, does, how do you view the year ahead when you think about so variants? COVID for us is a double-edged sword, I think it is for a lot of streaming services, in that it holds up your productions, obviously. Um, although at this point, I do think that the protocols are pretty well established and production companies kind of have it down at the, you know, now in terms of how to create that bubble and, and make sure everybody is safe um, for the most part. So that's obviously a risk. But then the good news, I guess, is that people might be home more and watching and consuming and, and finding us and, and uh, really enjoying Star's play mm -hmm. more and more. So it's a double-edged sword like it is for everyone. Superna Carl, speaking with Jordan Pinto. Chris Ed is head of drama at London-based Two Brothers Pictures, the all-three-media-backed production company behind Fleabag and The Missing, whose latest series, big-budget Jamie Dornan starring drama The Tourist, debuted recently on the BBC. Ed spoke with C21 senior reporter Ruth Laws about making the series in Australia, as well as offering his take on the trends he sees shaping the industry in the coming year. The Tourist is a dark, slightly offbeat thriller set in the Australian outback. And it's about a guy, we meet a guy who is driving through the desert and is suddenly chased by a huge tank truck and a massive accident. And he wakes up in hospital and he can't remember who he is. And then he begins a journey of kind of self-discovery, really, to try and work out who he is. And as that takes place, <laughs> a lot of bad stuff happens to him so yeah it's all about kind of i i kind of identity and how you're defined are you defined by who you are today and what you do or what you did and have done and why do you think the show stands out ah uh, i hope because it's got quite an unusual tone it's absolutely not a straightforward thriller it's got a lot of character work in it it's got a kind of very dark humor i think jack and harry were trying to go for that something that just feels rather different that that hopefully people can kind of lean into and ask a lot of questions about but that also, and especially with um, Danielle's character, Helen, sort of has this really a kind of innate warmth to it as well. I wondered, was the project initially written as set in the Australian outback? Or was that a decision later on? No, it was absolutely always set there. And we we were really clear from the beginning, you know, I mean, and this was all pre-pandemic, of course. There is a world where perhaps one could have tried to shoot it in, say, North Africa or somewhere. But we were really clear that we had to go and actually film in Australia. Why did you want to film? it there i think because it's a it's a totally unique environment and having been down there a few times now and obviously worked down there it, it yeah there's kind of nowhere quite like it and i know it's a cliche but until you actually really get on the ground in remote outback and really understand the sheer size of the place yeah and i think jack and harry had that in mind from the very beginning that this was a story about a man who was lost in the landscape as well as in his mind you know yeah i wondered if it was supposed to reflect the man the fact that he doesn't know who he is he's essentially a sort of empty vessel much like the sort of barren landscape that he's in i think definitely yeah and you know if you were in a city there were probably any number of things that you could do or ways that 
you could even distract yourself from this terrible predicament he finds himself in. and of course he's there alone and you know as Helen says you know Helen is his only friend in the world and how did he find and choose the locations in the Australian outback so we we zeroed in on South Australia because we'd been told that it was that Adelaide had like some of the best access straight into the desert so whilst we shot a lot of it about 400 kilometers north of Adelaide in various different locations but actually you don't have to go far out of Adelaide and you're quite quickly into a very remote feeling place so there was that and then yeah we did a lot of scouting I mean a lot and so for example that truck chase sequence was shot in about eight different locations with multiple I mean we bought five cars we shot something in the region of I think we shot like five main unit and six second unit days for that sequence and that is very unusual for a TV show so yeah we we wanted to go the extra mile with the locations to really like make it work um, and you mentioned earlier that it took ages to film um, I assume um, the length of time has something to do with the pandemic and I just wondered how that affected uh, or complicated the filming process? So the actual filming, the actual production of the show was longer than than some shows, but that was because of the production value, because we were shooting a big show in and with lots and lots of different moving parts. COVID affected this show in as much as it put us a year behind because we were originally going to shoot spring of 20, and obviously that didn't happen. But actually, in terms of increased shooting time on the ground, COVID didn't really affect this show because it was in South Australia where there was no COVID at all. Obviously, it's only latterly since our summer that COVID has become an issue in Australia. When we were filming there, I mean, there were no cases of COVID in South Australia at all. What was the most um, difficult scene to film? I mean, this was challenging from a production point of view throughout, really, uh, hugely challenging. I mean, that that car truck chase is pretty much the most complicated thing I've ever worked on. Um, and it's got so many different elements and so many different people worked on it in so many different locations. And it took such a long time there's a set in the show which is the exterior of the the bread the b&b which was a very tough location it was very remote and it was on a farm and there are so many flies <laughs> in australia in the summer it is insane and um yeah i know everybody found that extremely difficult i mean the actors had we've actually had to vfx the flies out because the actors had flies like crawling all over there's one where there's like one like on almost on danielle's eye <laughs> <laughs> like Jamie had like flies crawling all over his back and so yeah that that wasn't much fun I think but from a pure production point of view I think that that chase at the beginning was yeah pretty much the biggest thing I've, I've ever done and did you always have Jamie Dornan in mind to play the man what was the casting process he was certainly in mind I mean we had quite a long list and what happened was because the, the production kind of went on hiatus things obviously so we were sort of gearing up in one way or in it was a whole sort of approach and then of course everything stopped and what happened was Jamie become became available which was fantastic for us so um, yeah we were thrilled because he's he's just the right mixture of obviously very much a lead but also he's really funny as you're the head of drama I wondered what you think will be the trends in drama programming next year I think everybody's always looking for something that hasn't been done before at the moment like distinctive is definitely always the watchword now and I think if anything 
feels halfway familiar, it's going to it's going to be a tricky sell. And then I suppose allied to that, it definitely feels at the moment that at one end of the business, the the sort of production and this is a really good thing and it's really exciting, but shows like the tourist are sort of becoming the norm. You know that we need to deliver shows that that work at this scale and and this size and scale and reach and that is demanding it's hugely demanding and as an industry i think literally in the last kind of year six, even in the last six months everybody i know is talking about the fact that we now we're in a world where instead of making a kind of six-part tv show you're almost making six films and that you know that's making us all kind of that's cha- i mean the tourist has challenged me in ways that the stuff we've done on this that i've never done before in terms of setting up things of this size but also the attention to detail the attention to to the frame to, to the cinematic approach the amount of post-production we're doing the amount of visual the amount of visual effects work that we're doing now you know visual effects has graduated into this totally new world where a lot of the work is completely invisible to the audience but we are doing so much work to try and make the pictures as filmic and cinematic as possible so I think there's a demand for shows to be made in that way I think that will definitely carry on do you think that's because of the streamers you know because they have a lot of money and it's kind of raised production values up across the board I think that that we're now looking at because we are now looking at big international productions that have multiple yeah and streaming money you know it's America it's largely American driven money it's there's a production value that I suppose Hollywood has always kind of had that is now slightly applying across the piece I also think there's a sort of generation of filmmakers now who I don't think there's much distinction anymore between TV and film and it's just it's filmed content and TV I mean clearly cinema is still very much the preserve of absolutely colossal blockbusters and and you know the Marvel universe and all of those sorts of things but actually um, television and stuff that we're making for people's living rooms is sort of not a million miles off now so it's it's really a kind of convergence I think of film and TV maybe everybody just wants to make as good material as we possibly can but it is definitely it's it's more complex and it's more more challenging and more demanding um, and what do you think the biggest challenges and opportunities are you know what I'm I'm having said everything that we just said about the higher production stuff which I'm re- which obviously everybody wants to do and I think that's the, there's so many exciting challenges there I also think we should be mindful of continuing to make simpler character driven story driven material that doesn't need necessarily need to be made in this kind of way you know and maybe is a little bit more akin to the way that we've made TV for 30, 40, 50 years you know and I I don't mean old fashioned at all but I think there's a way to make sure that you know so I think we live in a world where everybody is very mindful of the fact that we need to give access to as many different voices on television as we possibly can newer voices um, you know uh, deaf disabled neurodiverse voices and obviously the BBC and Netflix have just launched this big scheme Um, people of colour different genders all of these things you know and I think that in order to do that there's probably a spectrum of production approach that we need to 
make sure we continue doing. And then not everything can be shot in a huge kind of all singing, all dancing way. And actually, I've always found certainly there is huge creativity and value in putting constraints on things, on, on, on saying, okay, this is what we have available to do this. How do we do it? And some of my favorite films, certainly over the years, have come from, you know, low budget. You look at some of Spike Lee's early movies, you look at Kevin Smith's early movies, you know, really talented people who make things, but not necessarily with a colossal amount of money. And I really want to continue to do that. And I think certainly there is an audience for that material. And I don't just mean students or, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a traditional mainstream audience who likes telly made in that way, I think. And I think we need to make sure we keep doing that as well. Lots of money will help a good script be great, but it won't fix a bad script. And and good stories and good scripts and something that I've been thrilled about the last little while is how directors have become so much more valued and important in the whole process. Because now you have really good writers or showrunners and you have really good directors. And when you put those two things together, because I don't, I don't think we did that for a long time in TV. I think we undervalued directors. And I think we are now. Everything's being approached in that more cinematic language. You know, you, you have to get your, you get your script and your casting and your director's vision right and it will work but if you've got 10 million quid it won't necessarily be good if those things aren't right i just wondered um what your strategy is and if you've changed it at all to adapt for the changing landscape well i think you know i think it's kind of just to it just all the things that we've just talked about are very much in our heads you know and that you know continuing to try and come up with really distinctive propositions and scripts work with the best talent but i'm certainly thinking very much about okay what are the shows on our development slate where we where we really do need to kind of find you know the kind of financing that we've found on the tourist and then what are the shows where we can kind of maybe tailor it in in a different way you know that they're smaller that they maybe don't need as much international money that we can I'm a firm believer that yes if you get like loads of international money for something great but actually there's the other way of looking at that if you make something for a domestic audience that is brilliant then it should travel anyway right and I mean Fleabag was a great example of that so I think just that really and that we're continuing to work both in drama and in comedy and yeah you know push boulders up hills chris ed from two brothers pictures speaking with ruth laws that's all for this episode but you can hear more discussion by tuning into the weekly review show on our c21 fm internet radio station where you'll find new interviews airing from monday the podcast will be back next friday in the meantime stay safe and up to date with all the latest international tv industry news and views by following c21 online on mobile and social media my name's jonathan weddale Thanks for listening.